Hey, Praise Chapel. This is Isaiah Saldivar from The Awakening 209. And this morning's message, I want to talk to you about having a revival lifestyle. Christianity has to become more than just a Sunday morning thing that we do. I hope this message blesses you. God bless. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout of praise. If my sound guy could just crank me up, my voice is going out. Just crank me up in the monitors. Thank you. Come on, who came ready to worship this morning? Who came ready to praise? Don't get quiet on me now. Listen, if y'all get quiet on me, I'll get nervous. I'm half Hispanic and I'm half Italian, so I'm going to keep asking him to turn the mic up. I yell a lot and I talk fast, but I'm telling you, I feel the fire of Almighty God in this place. I feel the anointing of Almighty God. Can y'all hear me in the back? I feel the anointing in this place. When I come to the house of the Lord, I come to praise. I come to worship. I don't come just to hear a good message. I don't come for somebody to babysit me. Come on, help me with an amen. I don't come just to get it over with I know now I know y'all are not at the nine o'clock service just to get it over with so you could go home and watch football and hang out for the day I know that you came in early because David said I will arise early and seek the Lord David said better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere David said I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell with the wicked David said better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere in fact David said I have one wish and one desire that I would dwell every day in the house of the Lord. There is no better place to be than the house of the Lord. Don't worry, I'll breathe in about 40 minutes. There is no better place to be in the presence of God. I think about where I was nine years ago as an atheist, and I think that if it wasn't for the mercy of God, if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for His power that delivered me, I need somebody that remembers what it was like in that trap house. And if it wasn't for His power, I need someone to remember where they were on drugs and it was only the mercy of God it was only the anointing of God it was only by his power that saved you and delivered you I don't want you coming in here this morning acting like it was religion that delivered you I don't want you coming in this morning acting like it was religion that saved you it was only by his Holy Spirit power it was only by his anointing see there are a lot of us that to get us to praise we don't need another worship song we don't need another worship album there are some of us that need a flashback of what God has done in our life we need to remind ourselves: if it wasn't for your mercy if it wasn't for your hand I wouldn't be here my praise is a result of a changed life my praise is a result that God has done something that God has moved I want I wonder if I'm in the right place. I wonder if I'm in a place. Come on, help me this morning. I got to make sure I'm at the right place. I'm not at, at St. Anthony's. Come on, help me. I wonder if I'm in a place that says, God, I'm grateful. So when I come to the house of the Lord, there is a shout on the inside of me. There is a praise on the inside of me. I believe one of the things the Lord is doing in this hour is God is restoring excitement back to the house of the Lord. God is restoring passion. I believe this morning that God is going to give you some passion. He's going to give you your praise back. He's going to give you your shout back. He's going to give you your fire back. He's going to give you a new worship, a new song, and a new praise. If you've been feeling dry and dead and far off, this morning is your morning to get a fresh fire. This morning is your morning to get a fresh
fresh hunger. This morning is your morning to get a fresh encounter. We have to come to the house of the Lord with expectation that we're not just getting coffee and donuts, but we're going to have an encounter with Almighty God that we are going to experience His power. Come on, help me. We are going to, am I at the right place? Experience His anointing. Experience His fire. I come with expectation that this could be the morning that my marriage gets restored. This could be the morning where my body gets healed. This could be the morning where my mind gets restored. This could be the morning. I'm just going to keep preaching, y'all, where every demonic power will be silenced. That today could be the day. We need expectation back in the house of God where we come to the house of God saying, God, I refuse to come to another service where I walk in one way and I walk out another way. And please do not sit back and look at me crazy, y'all. I'm already family here. So whether you like it or not, I'm already a son of this house. Praise the Lord. But I'm telling you, we have to stop coming to the house of the Lord and expecting just to have good three good songs, a 15-minute message and a five-minute altar call and walk out the same. But there is a holy hunger that God is raising and this morning my assignment listen if you want to hear a message I got a table you could go buy some or you could go on YouTube there's about a thousand messages of me preaching on YouTube but this morning I believe that God does not just want to give us a nice sanitized message but God actually wants to shake up our box he wants to shake up our comfort zone for some of us God wants to offend us into righteousness wants to offend our lifestyle wants to offend our lack of prayer wants to offend our lack of worship and I believe in this hour God is challenging the church and saying there is another level of the glory of God there is another level of worship there is another level of praise remember the kingdom that we are living in is an advancing kingdom our God is not stagnant like we are our God is not casual like we are our God is not stale or dry but the Bible declares that we advance from glory to glory to glory. There is no neutral in the kingdom of God. I am either growing to the next glory or I am dying in complacency. I am either advancing and I refuse to go another day, another service, or another moment with the same praise that I had last week. I refuse to go with the same worship that I had last week. That there is a trumpet sounding there is an alarm going off in the spirit and God is waking up the American church God is waking up a remnant God is waking up his people and we are no longer going to celebrate sleeping Christians we're no longer, come on, help me. We are no longer going to celebrate being complacent in the house of the Lord. And if you've heard people, oh, you're okay, brother, where you're at. I refuse to be around believers that are convinced me I'm okay with where I'm at. I want to be around some people that will take me to the next level. I've told God a million times, I travel full time. I pastor a church in Northern California. I mean, I am busy. I got a million things going. Yet I come to a service just like this. I'm oftentimes in 
20 to 25 revival services per week, per month. And I'm saying, God, I don't ever want to become professional. I don't ever want to get good, so good at worship that I could worship but not remember who I'm actually worshiping. I don't want to get so good at preaching and so good at churchianity and religiosity. I tell people all the time, if you're looking for actors, you don't have to go to Hollywood. You just go to the American church. There are so many of us that have gotten good at just going through the motions, knowing how, when to praise and when to shout and when to dance and when to show up. But there is a void in our weekly life with the presence of God. There is no supernatural activity of the presence of God in our everyday lives. And right now the alarm is going off. We are in a Joel 2 moment where Joel declares, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the earth tremble for the day of the Lord is approaching. And I'm looking as I'm traveling from church to church all over America and also pastoring a local church. So don't sit there and be like, well, you're not a pastor. You don't understand. The struggle is real. I understand what we're going through, but I refuse to pastor a dead church. I refuse to pastor a place where God is not moving. I refuse to pastor a place where I'm not challenging people to go to the next level. Friend, if you're not coming, getting convicted, challenge, and there's not something in your spirit where you're going, God, I need to change, then you are missing what God is doing in this house. God does not want to leave you where you are. God does not want to leave you in stagnicity, but there is a movement of the Holy Spirit. There is a move of God breaking out, and I just want to be a weather forecaster in the Spirit for you today. There is a move of God breaking out in America and in American churches where people are saying, I am tired of business as usual. I am tired of going through the motions of American religion and religiosity and not experiencing the presence of God in my everyday life. From that thing on the inside of you that says, Isaiah, I'm not satisfied with religion. That has been put there by God. That thing on the inside of you that says, I am hungry for more of God. I don't just want to experience him for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but I want to experience the presence and the power of God in my everyday life. I am not okay with once a week church. I want encounter. I want the presence of God to change me. I want every single day. When Jesus called the disciples, it was a foreign principle, a foreign concept, and a foreign idea to show up once a week. In fact, you are not going to find in the Bible, anywhere in Scripture, and I would challenge you, where Jesus said, I only want you to come for one hour on a Sunday morning, and I want you to pour out your affection for one hour. Jesus would invite people into a lifestyle of following him. He would invite people to an encounter and a relationship and we have created in America a God in our image instead of making our lives in the God that made us in his image. In other words, we're no longer the clay. We're now the potter. And instead of God molding us and shaping us into what he wants us to be, we're, I'm trying to slow down for some of y'all in the back that aren't getting it. We are now shaping God with how we want him to be. And so we build our church. We say, okay, well, the people don't want to hear about casting out demons 
Well, the people don't want to hear about hell. Well, the people don't want to hear about repentance. They don't want to hear about living a clean life. They don't want to hear about movies and music and what they should be listening to and the lifestyle requirements to being a disciple. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get this book and we are going to create a Jesus that talks like us, that acts like us, that looks like us, that is nor- that is culturally and socially acceptable, except the very problem we have, especially in California, is that Jesus does not fit into our liberal agenda. Jesus does not fit into our carnal lifestyles. Jesus does not fit into our pagan addictions. Yes, I said pagan in the house of the Lord. And so Jesus says this, that if you want to create a God in your image, which a lot of us serve, then you will get the power of the God that you've made in your image. And the God that you've made in your image does not heal the sick. The God that you've made in your image does not raise the dead. The God that you made in your image cannot bring deliverance there is no life there is no freedom there is no power and so when we make a God in our image we lack the only thing that we actually have to offer this world let me just say something very quickly the only thing we have to offer this world is not good kids programs is not good sound systems lightings or televisions the only thing that we truly have biblically to offer the world is the presence of almighty God in fact in the Old Testament, there was only one distinguishing factor. One distinguishing factor was the presence of God. That the other nations and the other people would say they have the presence of God. And I'm wondering when America looks at the church, I'm wondering when people look at the life of Isaiah Saldivar, I'm going, God, do they see that I have the presence of God? Do they see that there's something different about me? That there is a residue about me? That there is a passion in my life? Friend, listen, I'm not here to put on a show. I'm not here because I was looking for somewhere to preach. I am here believing that there would be such a move of God in the American church that we would get back to the place of prayer. I mean, imagine choosing God over Netflix. Can y'all hear me? You just turn that mic up. Imagine spending four hours a day in prayer instead of four hours a day watching Netflix, four hours a day watching Instagram, four hours a day on our Facebook, four hours a day gossiping, murmuring, and complaining about the church and saying, God, I'm going to spend actual time in your prayer. Y'all are making me sweat this morning. I'm going to spend actual time in your presence. I'm going to spend actual time in worship that there is no shortcut to the presence of God. There is no work around to the presence of God. We as believers need to stop shaking our fist at God and being mad that he's not answering prayers that we're not even praying. We are mad that God is not moving when we're not even inviting him to move. We're mad that God isn't delivering our family. I was complaining, Pastor, one day, God, you haven't healed this person and you haven't saved this person. God said, Isaiah, what is the literal time, chronological time you've actually spent praying for that person? And I realized that my Instagram life, my Netflix life, life, my YouTube life and all my sports and everything else I was doing was hours and hours a day and there was little to no time spent in the place of prayer friend you will never see breakthrough in your life if you're not willing to travail in the place of prayer you will never see breakthrough in your life if you're not willing to go into intercession for your family go into intercession for your marriage I believe and you're going to get another different message in, in the second service praise the Lord but I believe 
believe that God is going to raise up men in the house and raise up men in the church where your wife is not going to have to preach your home, but you're going to say, I'm going to teach my kids to pray. I'm going to, I knew y'all weren't going to be loud right there. Only the ladies are shouting now. I'm going to turn my man cave into a prayer room and I'm going to lead my family in the presence of God. I'm going to, come on ladies, where are you at? You men, we, us men need to rise up and take our rightful place and say, ask for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. I'm not going to let my kids iPad disciple them. It's getting hot in here, y'all. I'm not going to let Instagram disciple my kids. Because if you do not disciple your kids, their friends at school will disciple your kids. If you do not disciple your kids, Netflix will disciple your kids. If you do not disciple your kids, Fortnite will disciple your kids. And there are a lot of us that are allowing the culture and other things to disciple our kids, to disciple our family, to disciple our marriage. But I'm telling you, there is a cutting away and a removing of the flesh. And by the way, if this is offending you and you're new, next week you'll get a little bit nicer. I praise the Lord. You only got to have me for two services. But I'm telling you, there is a challenge going out. And God is actually jealous for his people. God will not tolerate a church that sleeps around with the culture. In fact, one of the greatest indictments that Jesus gave to the church when he came to the earth was that you are committing spiritual adultery. He would oftentimes call the religious people or the church of that day, you adulterous generation. Now, it wasn't that they were cheating on their wives, but it was actually that they were cheating on God. That we say, God, we love you and we care about about you for an hour on Sunday morning and then the rest of the week we're sleeping with other lovers. We are cheating on God and we think that God is going to bat his eye and be okay with it. In fact, I oftentimes wonder what would it be like to be in a relationship with the American church? You think about bad relationships, you have family or friends or marriages, you know, or people in this church, and you go, man, I don't know why I could not handle your husband. I mean, he's angry, he's bitter, he's yells, he's he's demanding. Come on, y'all, I'm Hispanic. You better hear me. He's always asking for this and always asking for that, doesn't want to lift a finger around that. I mean, you look and you're like, I don't know how you're in a relationship with him. I look at the American church and I wonder, going, God, how are you in a relationship with people that really don't love you outside of an hour and a half on Sunday, really don't have a prayer life, don't worship, don't pray, don't have a holy hunger for the word of God. And then Isaiah, and God says, Isaiah, easy, go to the book of Hosea. There was a man there that I told, I want to show you. He tells Hosea, I want to show you what it's like, thank you so much, to be in a relationship with the church. Hosea, I want to show you prophetically what it's like to date and to be in relationship with the church. And he says, Hosea, the way I'm going to describe being in relationship with you, with the American church is I want you to go marry a prostitute. Watch where I'm going. And when you marry that prostitute, that will now become a picture of my relationship with my people. Understand that we have painted a picture of the bride. I have one guy say, well, brother, you shouldn't bash the bride of Christ, and you shouldn't talk about the bride. And I said, brother, if you actually think what I'm preaching about is the bride of Christ, you have not read your Bible, because the bride is not sleeping with other lovers. The bride has not gotten plastic surgery. The bride is not 
not plastic and synthetic like American Christianity. There is a harlot, a different Jesus that is pretended to be the bride of Christ. This is all up in your Bible, y'all. Y'all should open it. This stuff is crazy. That has become a that has become a make-believe Jesus. In fact, Paul addresses this very issue when he said, told the church in Galatia, who has bewitched you? And you know what Paul said? Paul said, if anybody comes and uses this word and preaches a different Jesus, he says, let a curse. He says, even if an angel, imagine we're in service and an angel shows up. I'm talking about an angel. I'm not talking about a demon. I'm not talking about an angel. I'm talking about an angel from heaven shows up and goes up to Pastor Omar and says, Pastor Omar, I'm an angel. Hello. Everyone's freaking out. I would like to preach behind your pulpit. I'm pretty sure Pastor Omar would say, okay, you know what? I'll preach next week. Let's let the angel preach. And Paul said, if the angel gets up and preaches, I want to show you how powerful this is. And then angel shows up and preaches a different Jesus or what the Bible calls another gospel than the gospel that we actually brought you. He said let a curse fall even if it's an angel. And yet there are many men trumpeting a different Jesus and preaching a different gospel from the pulpits of the American church. And we are in danger that there is a man coming back to declare war. And what happens when Jesus comes and declares war against his own church what happens when Jesus comes back to the earth and says all of our preaching in America and all of our complacency and all of our religiosity and all of our comfortable Christianity is nowhere in the Bible when I said follow me I said that you must let go there was an instability in following Jesus it was not a once a week you're not going to find Jesus saying just follow me for one hour once a week you're not going to find Jesus saying just pray for one hour once a week friend there is no substitute now I want to make this clear because I'm a pastor of a church there is no substitute for being in the church I have people all the time saying, and I'm going to just ruin your little religious stuff and all these little preachers out there that have no accountability, no covering, no spiritual fathers. I am 100% against that. I believe it is demonic. I have people writing me pastor all the time because we have a large following on social media, and they say, oh, I don't go to church. You're my pastor. I cannot tell you how many people I have told I am not your pastor if you do not come to my church. There is no such thing as being an internet pastor. There is something that happens. Y'all need to turn it up. There is something that happens when we gather together. There is something that happens when we assemble as the brethren. There is something that happens in places like this that you cannot get on the internet. I knew y'all weren't going to shout right there that you cannot get on a website. There is accountability and a mandate that God puts on his church and we have a bunch of people that are preaching a demonic doctrine and they're walking around saying, I'm the church. Pastor Omar, have you heard this? We have all these people come to our conferences. What church do you go? Well, I don't go to church. I am the church. Wrong. You're not the church. The Bible doesn't say anywhere you're the church. And this will put this in a religious pipe and smoke it. The Bible says that we are the church. Understand that church is not you. Church is the ecclesia, which is a people group that have been pulled out of darkness and put into light. The church is not a social club. All right. The church is not a nice place for your family. The church is not a sanitized place where we try to make you feel awesome about your life week, your week long of compromise. The church is not a place where we're supposed to give you chill bumps. The primary function, I'm preaching out of the Bible, of the book of Acts, the New Testament church was to make disciples. That means that we are not here to change your diaper. We are not here to give you a pacifier. We are not here to clean up your mess or to feed you. If I hear another person that leaves their church because they're not being fed, 
I'm going to have to show him a video of my three-year-old climbing up on the counter and pouring herself a bowl of cereal. And I'm wondering why my three-year-old could feed herself, yet there's grown adults in this room that are waiting for their pastor to feed them. Pastor, I need, I need a word. I need a word. You need a word because you don't read your Bible all week. You need a word because you don't pray all week. And the only word you get is off of a television screen on Sunday morning. And we live all week long starving spiritually, walking around malnourished in the spirit and wondering why we're so weak in the spiritual realm. Wondering why the devil is laughing at us and is eating our lunch because we're living our life, feeding the flesh all week long. And don't sit there and say, well, brother, it's just not my personality to praise that way. That's weird because I saw you at the football game game last week and you praised you just didn't praise for God you praised for your team so no I had a guy come to me one day I just don't do all that it's not my personality I'm going we should ask your wife about that because you're up in front of your 78 inch screen blocking the field goal of the Sunday game yet you come to the house of God and we can't get you to raise your hands if it got you a promotion at work we can't get you to raise your hands if your life depended on it dad listen your kids don't need you and don't need to see you working hard they need to see you in prayer they need to see that dad knows God that dad has a relationship with God and see this different Jesus will convince you that you only have to serve me on Sunday 168 hours, if you don't rem- didn't remember, 168 hours every single week. I'm just preaching the word, and we give God an hour and a half, which is great. And like I said, there is no substitute. We are the church. You're not the church. We are the church together. We cannot have church if we do not come together. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembly together of the brethren, as many have and many will. There is power in unity. There is power in being in a body. We could do more together than we can alone. The Bible says one put a 1,000, but two could put 10,000. There's a multiplication there. There is something that happens happens when we link arms when we go to battle the enemy is not threatened by lone star preachers or lone star churches he's threatened when we come together as the body of Christ if we're not as a body then we are mutated and deformed there is a body but understand that if we're living our lives and I know this is strong but I feel the anointing on this I feel the conviction and I'm responsible when I get on that airplane if I preach the word God gave me or I did it but I'm telling you right now there is a different Jesus we are living by and there is an hour and a half commitment when we give to God and then the rest of the week we ignore him now I'm not a math major or a mathematician but I do know this if there is 168 hours in the week and if I'm giving God an hour and a half of my week that's less than one percent less than one percent so let me ask myself this question I'm not asking you Paul said this told the church test yourself to see if Christ is really among you Test yourself. What is a test? A test is a series of questions that determines whether I know the subject matter or not. So Paul said, I'm not going to tell you if God's among you. I'm not going to look into your personal life and say, well, brother, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not here to shame you into the kingdom. I'm here to bring holy conviction that you would evaluate your life as Paul said. And you would say, wait a minute, maybe I think I'm a believer by word or by this. But maybe in my deep down on the inside of my everyday life, I'm not actually a biblical Christian. Remember, we are not talking about a Christian according to the American church. We are not talking about a Christian according to the fact that you prayed a five-second prayer in band camp in seventh grade. We are talking about being a Christian according to God's word and according to God's standard. And Jesus said, if any man wants to gain his life, he must let go of his life. There is an instability where you let go of your life. You let go of your ambitions. You let go of your desires. And you say, God, I want you to make resident in my life. I want your presence 
presence and your power in my everyday life. 2020 is the year of everyday Christians where we're not just going to be Christian on Sunday, but we're going to be Christian Monday through Saturday, and we're going to live this thing out every day. So let's, let's see what Paul said. Paul said, test yourself. So let me test myself, ask myself this question. What, and then you can ask yourself, the right, like I said, I'm not going to shout this at you. I'm not going to tell you this because I already know some of y'all don't like me, okay? That's why I took my glasses off so I can't see you grinning at me. Praise the Lord, okay? Thank you so much for those lights. I love it. I love not being able to see some of you grinning at me. Praise the Lord. But here's the thing. I got to ask myself, what did my prayer life look like in the last seven days? What did my prayer, what did my worship life look like? Remember, worship is not music. Worship is sacrifice. The first time we see, which in systematic theology we're not going to go into because it doesn't really, it's not relevant, but there's a thing the principle of first mention. If you went to Bible college like I did, you understand this, that anytime they mention something first in the Bible, it will hold precedence throughout the rest of the Bible. Now, I have no problem calling music worship, but biblically, that's not worship. That's praise. And what we do is we say, well, I worship on Sunday. You didn't worship if you didn't sacrifice. The only way to worship God is to lay down a sacrifice. When, uh, when Abraham had Isaac, the Bible says the first time we ever see worship in the Bible was when Abraham had to go sacrifice Isaac. He said, I will go over there and I'm going to worship he was not going to play three fast songs, two slow songs, and have a little altar call. What he was going to do was lay down the most valuable, important thing in his life. And remember, God called him to lay down something that he loved, not something he wanted to give, not something that was easy to give. Guys, when we fast and when we pray, I hear pastors all the time say, well, we're just going to fast, and you could just fast whatever you want. We have a bunch of people in the church that are lazy and complacent, and so they're like, well, I'll fast chocolate ice cream. Well, I'll fast YouTube for 30 minutes. I mean, we have the dumbest things that we're giving God because when God calls us to sacrifice what do we do as believers we find the cheapest possible thing to give him and it's not a new thing Israel was doing that and God came to Israel and said this and I know this is strong I didn't plan it I have nice I promise I'll send you my notes they're very nice and very loving okay but I felt the conviction of God God told Israel stop bringing me lame offerings you're literally coming to the altar and laying down I looked at you put the money in the bucket and God goes that's lame that's lame. You're giving me 5%. You're giving me 10%. People say, why do I have to give 10%? I give way more than 10%. If y'all want to get real, the New Testament, they gave up everything. And God says, I don't want your lame offerings. I want you to give me something. I want you to find your favorite thing, your favorite movie, your favorite thing. I want you to lay down something that's going to cost you. I want you to take the things that you're spending time on and energy on and you're using for your glory and your kingdom. And I want you to lay them down and give them to me. And the Bible says Abraham is taking Isaac. Isaac begins to ask Abraham, well, Father, where's the sacrifice? Where are we going? See, anytime God tells you to lay down an offering or sacrifice, your sacrifice will always try to talk you out of laying it down. But you have to stop letting your sacrifice try to talk you out of laying it down. If God said get rid of the relationship, you don't try to talk God out of it. If God said get rid of the music or the movie or the culture, you don't try to talk God out of it, but you say, God, I'm going to lay something down this morning so that I could see the fire of God in my life, so that I could see the presence of God. If we're not laying down a sacrifice, we won't experience fire. He goes, I want the fire. You don't get the fire by Isaiah Saldivar laying hands on you. You don't get the fire. People are like, impart your mantle, your fire. I paid for this fire. I paid for this mantle. I paid for this anointing. And you're going to have to pay for your own fire. You cannot get fire by laying hands on somebody. Help me preach. 
Now, I'm as Pentecostal as they come. I will shake. I will roll. I will. You can pour oil on me like we're a chicken, piece of chicken at KFC. I mean, you can fry me up. You can speak tongues. I'll spit on you as I'm praying. I believe. I love it. It's all good. It's all dandy. But I am tired of people asking for something that they don't want to pay for. I'm tired of people saying, give me your mantle and give me your anointing. And I feel like the wise virgin saying, go buy your own oil. Go get your own fire. Go get your own praise. See, I paid for this praise. I paid for this worship. There is a special type of praise. If it had not been for God, praise. If it had not been for God, I would be dead. If it had not been for God, I wouldn't be here. There is a special shout and a special praise reserved for those that have paid a price. So he said, go sacrifice your first one. That was true worship. So then when I ask myself, what does my prayer life look like? Jesus said that if you want to find God, many people are struggling, and we don't have to raise our hands because we're all struggling, praise the Lord, including me. But we're struggling. I don't know how to find God. I've never experienced God. There are many believers, majority believers that I travel to in the American church that have never had a genuine experience with God. And it's not because God is far off. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God doesn't care about me. It's because you have not spent time to actually pursue God. The Bible declares that if you seek Him, you'll find Him. In fact, Jesus actually gives us the geographic the GPS coordinates to God on the earth. And Jesus says, if you're looking for God, there is a place on the earth where God dwells. He didn't say an altar at a church, although God does dwell at altars of churches. He did not say at a conference, although God does dwell at conferences. But Jesus gives us the key to where to find God. I, I know I know you want to know because I want to know. He said the key, the geographical location that every person in this room has access to finding the presence of God is actually in the secret place. He said, pray to your father in secret who's in secret and I'm going we know where God is but are we there looking let's ask ourselves that Let's just, let's be nice, okay, because it's my first time, so I'm just trying to be as nice as possible. Let's not even say in the last week. Let's just say in the last 20 days, have I seeked God and have I found God? Well, how, should, how long should I look for him? I told the young people last night, the same amount of time you look for your car keys, you don't look and say, well, I give up, I didn't find him. You look until you find When I'm in prayer, it might be five minutes. I'm not legalistic. It might be an hour, but I'm going to pray until God says something or does something. When I go into my office in my prayer closet and I begin to pray and shut the door of my mind, I say, God, I don't want to leave this place the same. If I am in your presence, in your anointing, and in your power, then I want to leave this morning different. I want to leave with a new boldness, a new fire, a new passion. I want to evaluate my life and say, God, maybe it's possible biblically that I don't know you the way I thought I knew you. See, the Pharisees were not Pharisees because they wanted to be. They were actually accidental Pharisees. If they knew they were Pharisees, they wouldn't have been Pharisees. Come on, help me preach. But they thought genuinely that they were in the faith. And Jesus came and said, the problem is you do it on Sunday or you do it religiously but it's not the very fiber of who you are. You are lacking a genuine relationship. You are lacking a genuine experience and there is no word in your life. There is no prayer in your life. There is no passion in your life and so when you come to the house of the Lord, we have to beg you to pray. We have to beg you to worship. We have to beg you to get excited because we teach people just come to church and check it off your list. Let's come to church. I know y'all are mad. I'm mad too. I'm mad at myself. 
I'm mad. I'm mad at my own self as I preach. I'm mad that I don't pray enough. I'm mad that I don't, oh, brother, brother, brother. I know what y'all are thinking, so I'm just going to go ahead and address it here and ruin all your excuses. It's not about works wrong. It is about works. What do you mean? Well, Jesus says in Revelation that we get judged on our works, not on our faith. Why? Because faith without works is not faith. In other words, if I don't have works, I don't have faith. Faith is not how I get saved. Faith is proof that I am saved. We don't get our salvation through works lest any man should boast. Is that on what your Bible says? But the Bible says without faith without works there is no faith and so works are the evidence I've received salvation not my way to getting salvation because now that I've been saved delivered healed and filled with the Holy Spirit there is now a thing on the inside of me that says wait a minute I want to tell people about God I want to get in this book and get to know him I want to get in the place of prayer and encounter him I want supernatural experiences people say well you don't have to talk about all that supernatural stuff and I'm going well where are you finding God seriously if you're not living in the spirit if you're not praying in the spirit if you're not seeking God in the spirit realm where are you seeking God because our God is not natural how many of you know you can't see God you can't see God with your physical eyes you only can see him with your spiritual eyes and so if we're not living spiritually every single day and saying God I'm going to spend 2020 being intentional about your presence and about your power here's the thing God is God has requires us to be intentional because God is not just going to drop gold dust on you he's not going to drop a gold brick on your head if you're waiting for a prophetic word for a man of God I know that a lot of us kind of just wait and go well one day God's going to show up and well one day God's going to speak to me God already spoke to us 2,000 years ago and then said I'm not just going to speak to you I'm going to write a book and give it to you so that when you don't hear my voice you could just read the Bible out loud I want to hear the voice of God then read your Bible out loud that's the voice of God so, so that means this, as I, as I come to a close, if I could get the worship team up, praise the Lord, I'm doing good on time. That means that when I see somebody sick, I don't need a prophetic word. Come on, help me. I don't need a prophetic word to pray for the sick person at Walmart. I've already been given the prophetic word. It's called the word of God. John chapter 1, you should read it. And so whenever I see someone demon possessed, I don't need to wait until a deliverance minister shows up. Why? Because I've been given the same spirit that raised Christ. And so whatever the disciples were called to do, I'm called to do. It was not like, okay, um, Jesus didn't get the 12 disciples and go like, okay, John, you look like a really good bass player. Matthew, you look like a great keyboard player. Okay, Peter, I don't know what we're going to do with you. You can be an usher because we can't even deal with you half the time. You're halfway in, halfway out half the time. So we're just going to make you head of the ushers. God, God, we'll just, that'll work, okay. And I'm going to take you, and he goes through all the disciples. You look like a pastor, and you look like, and then he goes, okay, every Sunday morning, we're going to meet. Now, this is biblical, and this is New Testament, but this is not Christianity. If this is all you're getting, now, if you're getting this, and you're living all week long, then there should be fruit in your life. There should be people being discipled. Because biblically, it is not your pastor's job to preach to your unsafe friends and family. It is not your pastor's job to disciple everybody that you know. It is not your pastor's job. We don't run ambulance services. We run churches. And we're, our call is not to entertain the saints. Our call is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that you could get raised up and go do the work of the ministry. That means if Jesus said go, I don't know why I'm staying. Jesus said, pray for the sick. Well, I can't pray for the sick, brother. Do you have a hand? He made made it so ridiculously easy. None of us have an excuse this morning. Then I could pray for the sick. Jesus said, go baptize. Well, brother, we have to wait for, do you have a bathtub? Then you can baptize. 
Jesus said, make disciples. Did he say, wait for your pastor to start a discipleship program and then get your friends and family to enlist? No, he said, you make disciples. Why? Do I have a kitchen table? That's where disciples. Disciples are made in relationship. Jesus said, preach the gospel. Jesus did not say, live your life just inviting people. And I can't emphasize enough, I'm a pastor of a church. He didn't say, live your life inviting people on Sunday morning, giving them a flyer, and then letting your pastor preach to them, and then losing all reason. Jesus said, I want you to preach the gospel. I have given you power. I have given you authority. I have given you access. Your pastor's job, biblically, according to the book of Acts, is to be in prayer and to read the word. Those are his jobs. It is not your pastor's job to be out on the street feeding homeless people. It's your job. The Bible says the disciples said, we're not running a food program. Our call is to be in the word and to be in prayer. And then when we get up before the congregation, we have fresh manna from heaven and we deliver you the word. And then guess what you do? You go do the work of the ministry. This is not all there is to ministry. Because God has called everyone in this room to be a pastor. Maybe not a pastor of a church, but a pastor of your family, a pastor of your business, a pastor of the hospital you work at, a pastor of the police station. There is a different Jesus being preached, and we have to cancel out every notion and say, God, I want a daily encounter. I want a daily relationship. I actually want a prayer life. So when I ask myself, as I close this message this morning and say, when's the last time I prayed for the sick? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to be shame, condemnation, convicted, or whatever. Just let the conviction flow. And if the shoe fits, wear it. Walk down the aisle, stun it, be excited about it. Praise the Lord. And if you don't say amen, just say ouch. But I have to ask myself this question as a preacher, as a minister. Because you do know it's biblical and possible that I will stand before God and God will say, who are you again? I'm Isaiah Saldivar. Look at my YouTube. Look at my Facebook. Look who I preach with. God to be there. And give God all my accolades and all my resume. And God goes, I don't know you. I don't know you. Well, everybody else did, but I don't. There was never a real relationship between me and you. You went to church, but there was never a real relationship. There was never a real encounter. There wasn't this dialogue or this conversation. Now, I know something. Listen, my wife, if I only talked to my wife for an hour once a week, my wife would divorce me in two weeks. My wife, I'll be with my wife for a week long doing the ministry, and then after a week, she's like, babe, I haven't seen you. I'm like, we've been together all week doing ministry. I've been with you all week. She's like, yeah, but I haven't spent time with you. I'm like, we've been together. Oh, but see, wives look at time different than guys look at time. My time is like, okay, well, we're driving together. We're in church together. We're in prayer together. We're in revival. And my wife's like, if we're not there staring at each other, not talking, it's not personal time. Like, okay, honey, I'm here. Let me know. What do I got to do, okay? Let me just, I'm here. I'm all ears. I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm just going to listen. Stop trying to fix it. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to listen. So it doesn't count unless I give her that time. This church stuff doesn't count to my wife. She's like, yeah, you're a great preacher, but are you a good father? See, God's the same way. God says, this doesn't even count. If I took out your Sunday morning, where would your Christian life be? Many of us wouldn't even be Christian without Sunday morning. But I'm talking about building a personal history with God. A personal relationship where we say, when was the last time? See, it's not works. It's not works. It's not like I have to go pray for people. I have to go. It's an overflow of my relationship with the God that saved me, changed me, delivered me, and healed me. And out of that overflow, I see people that are oppressed by the devil. And I say, wait a minute. I have the power to set you free. I have the power to deliver you. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And so I'm doing it out of love. It's all about love. It's all about relationship. But if there's not a desire, desire in me to do it, I wonder what relationship I'm in. 
I wonder if I'm in relationship with a different Jesus. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. We're not going to do a drawn out. We're not going to do keep you for the next four hours. But I want to say there are people in this room that would evaluate their life and just simply say this. Just ask yourself this. And the last, let's be super nice, Pastor. Super nice, okay, because I really do want to come back here. Let's not even do a month. Let's, add, let's be nice. Oh, man, I feel the grace. Six months. Let's take it back six months just to be nice to get everybody involved. Let me ask myself, in my own head, has nothing to do with your neighbor, has nothing to do with your church. This is completely separate from your church, your neighbor, your friend. This is personally speaking to you today. Have I prayed for the sick in the last six months outside the church? I'm asking myself this question as I'm asking you. I'm not exempt. I'm not, I wish I wasn't on a stage because I'm not above you. In the last six months, do I have a personal communion, a secret place prayer life. And when I say secret place, I'm talking about setting aside 20 to 30 minutes to start and say, God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm not talking about five hours a day praying in your office where there's fire and angels show up. I'm talking about having a relationship and a dialogue with God every single day. Your secret place might be in your car, in your truck, on your way to the construction site. Your secret place might be in the, in the, in the lunchroom. I don't know where it's at, but ask myself, God, have I prayed? Have I had a secret place? Have I prayed? Have I cast a demon out of anybody in the last six months because remember every disciple was casting out devils not some disciples that felt like it or felt called you don't have to feel called you never have to feel called with what the word already says to do so if the word says to preach I don't need to be called to preach to preach if the word says to pray for the sick, I don't need the voice of God. I don't need the call of God. I've already been called 2,000 years ago. If the word says that every believer drives out demons, then I don't need a prophetic anointing. I don't need the man of God to lay hands on me. I don't need a divine revelation or a book from the Christian bookstore. I have the word of God. I have power over every demonic force. I have power over every generational curse so I could go out and do it. In the last six months, we're coming to a close here. In the last six months, have I prayed for anybody? Have I, I'm sorry, have I discipled anybody? Anybody. I'm not talking about your church. I'm not even talking about inviting. I'm saying, have I discipled somebody? That word disciple, just teaching somebody how to follow Jesus. Have I done that? What is my, what is my word? How much of this have I, have I read? Not because I have to, because I want to. Now, let me say this. A lot of this starts with having to, but ends up with wanting to. Does that make sense to y'all? So there's a lot of times where I don't want to pray, but I know my spirit does and my spirit needs it. And so I don't pray when I feel it. I pray till I feel it. And so I pray until something happens. Last week, I'm not bragging. Last week, while everyone was watching the playoffs, praise the Lord for the playoffs, I read the entire New Testament on live stream in one sitting. Eight hours straight, I sat there and read the Bible. Because I had to? No. Because I was getting paid to? Nope. Because I wanted to show off? No. I was going to do it regardless. People just said, we want to do it with you. So I went on live stream and I live streamed it. Why did I do it? Because I want to know God more. I'm not interested in preaching better. I got 4,500 notes on my phone. I don't need content. I'm not sitting there going, well, I need another word. I'm going, God, I want to know you better today than I did yesterday. I want to know your fire and your power. I want to encounter you, God. I'm tired of living my life on the fringes of a religious system. But God, I'm going to evaluate my life. I'm going to evaluate my Christian faith. And I'm going to say, God, I want to encounter you this morning. I want to make a fresh commitment this morning. I'm not asking you to get saved. I'm asking you to evaluate your life and say, God, there are some areas that need to change. We're going to do this real quick. If you're in this place, because I feel the conviction, and you say, Isaiah, I've evaluated. There's areas I need to change. I just want you quickly to come out of your chair and find a place at this altar. Just quickly, just quickly. We're not going to draw out. We're not going to go lay hands and prophesy over you. I want you just to make a commitment right now and say, I have evaluated my life, and I am making a decision for 2020. 
20, that I'm going in and I'm serving the Jesus of the Bible. Imagine the growth in this church. Imagine the passion in this church. Imagine the life in this church. If we would all get connected, if we would all get in relationship, if we would all get to know God like never before. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.